Hey listeners, just a quick thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. That is Nick, Matt, Justin, and Sarah. We are so thankful for your donations, and we hope that you are enjoying Pillow Talk with Ian and Joe. We know that we enjoy recording it. If you'd like to join them in supporting our podcast and giving us money so that we can get better recording equipment and uh, make the world a better place, you can go over to patreon.com slash W-T-H-I-A-P. That's patreon.com slash W-T-H-I-A-P. And last week, we released an episode about uh, farts in space on Pillow Talk. So if you're interested in that content, it is there for you. So again, that's patreon.com slash W-T-H-I-A-P. Thanks, everybody. I guess this can stay in the podcast. The IRS is not going to come after me. Um, no, the IRS doesn't listen to us. is a pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Each week we sit down to discuss our experiences and challenges in small-town parish ministry and in PhD work and ask others to join us as we try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go for it, Jill. I was going to ask you if you had anything in particular you wanted to talk about. I got like a couple of uh, of of theology things to bounce off but i don't want to like spend the whole podcast talking about them just just a small part of it i would like to uh perhaps right away take a moment to clear a couple of things up from our last podcast okay because i just re-listened to it and uh and i and i remember really liking the conversation when we recorded it and i and i still liked it after after we you know it went live i thought it was good and I would like to touch base with you about how no religion but social religion is going, if it is going, which it doesn't have to be going. It's okay. Yeah, um, it is. It's not going because I had a book from the <laughs> library that I checked out that I needed to finish first. I, I understand. I understand. Um, but uh, I wanted to just, my quick and dirty thing is just to make sure uh, I'm very clear on something. Uh, I am critical of LMX only because I think it has any potential at all to be a denomination Mm. um, that's worth anything. (laughs) Right, right. You don't see me talking about the global Methodist church. A, because (laughs) it's a, it's a farce and a joke. It's, it's a walking, talking bag of fascism and, you know, heteronormativity and, and all, all of the stuff that none of us like. Um, and and you know their theology is a joke at best it's a joke and at worst it's a catastrophic failure you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so like my my criticisms of lmx uh you know i i don't as i was listening to it i was like i'm being pretty critical um i'm a critical guy by nature as as you know joe and as folks who listen to the podcast know that but like i m- my criticism i hope i hope 
folks understand that my criticism of that group does not come from uh, a, a place of like wanting them to fail or like right. that it, a, a, an expression of Methodism that is radically inclusive and liberative is bad. Not at all. I think all of that is very good. I, I just, you know, I'm critical of them because I want them to be good and I want it to, to succeed. And uh, I'm also critical of them because, you know, uh, this would be, if this could be something, this would, you know, that, that, that would be really great. This would be something that I would put my name on. Mm. You know, I wouldn't mind putting my name on it, you know, and being like, yeah, that's what I'm a part of, you know, in the future, if it could be that way. And so I just want to be very clear, like, I don't, I, I don't have any kind of ill feelings towards LMX or, or the work that they are doing and that Ian is doing and, and other folks that I know who are a part of that. So I just want to make that clear. Yeah. And, and thank you for clarifying. Cause I think that's important. Um, and, and I feel, I feel similarly, uh, but I'm also, um, I'm a lot more hurt by like the United Methodist Church. And so anything that has is associated with Methodism, I'm grouchy at, but I'm also just hurt in like by the universal church. And so really yeah. anything to do with Christians, I'm grouchy about right now. Uh, and so I, I am hypercritical um, or just or nervous or anxious because like, I don't feel that I can trust um, any Christian organization <laughs> at this moment. Sure. And so, so that's where it comes from for me too. But yeah, no, I would, I would love for them to succeed. I would love for this to be, um, to be a, a new way of doing church because I think um, from, from what I've heard uh, as, as Ian has kind of explained more of what they, what they're hoping for to me, um, the, like the idea is that uh, you wouldn't be, you would be able to do kind of that, that small local stuff that we talk a lot about on the podcast um, mm -hmm. and not have to get caught up in the hegemony of, of the global denomination, um, but rather be able to like, to be really effective in your context and um, to be able to, um, to meet people where they are and to be like radically welcoming and like, I love all that. And I think all that's good and, and important, but I'm also there. I, it's also because uh, with the group that I was working with, uh, where I was serving, I was trying to get the Confederate statue moved. Like we tried to do um, this kind of uh, decentralized leadership where mm -hmm. like everybody has a say in things and and that works well when you are all united toward a goal and you're all putting in ideas. But the minute that there is conflict, we like we as like most people in the United States are not practiced in dealing with decentralized leadership. And it, and it takes practice. It takes practice for you to not immediately when there's conflict to look for the strongest person in the room. Right. right. Um, and so we I, what what often happened with that group is that myself and, and a friend of mine who ended up being seen as kind of like the founders and the leaders of the group, we get these questions put on us, but we're two white women. Like we're, we're not mm -hmm. the people to answer this. Um, 
And a lot of our, like our underlying conflicts were conflicts between different groups of people of color who were coming at this experience uh, in different ways and had done different levels of decolonizing work and anti-racist work on themselves. And so um, like, I'm just kind of reeling from watching the institution fail and watching a group that uh, was trying very hard not, not to institutionalize themselves also really struggle um, and it, it, and to me, both of them come from a lack of a clarity of vision um, and being able to hold one another accountable to that vision. And so that's why I I was really critical of LMX and, and still want them to be better is I want there to be a real clarity of what we're doing and where we're going before I want sure. to jump into something because I do want to jump into something like that's... Um, that's kind of my go-to move after a, a time of trauma is to find something to like throw myself into. Um, and so it's probably mm-hmm. good that I'm keeping a distance. But yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I am hopeful that out of everything that's happening with the, with the United Methodist church right now, that like a, a new Methodist movement kind of flourishes because I think that we're kind of ripe for it. Um, but I also, really want it to be solid. Like I really want people to know. I really want people to have thought through things and not, not that people aren't thinking and not that people aren't trying and just that it's yeah. not where I want it to be. And, and that's how last episode happened. I feel so. Yeah. Yeah. Keep on doing yeah, yeah. good work. LMX people just keep on working. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I try not to be so, relentlessly critical i watched uh, an episode of hot ones you ever watch hot ones on youtube joe no <laughs> hot ones is a it's a fairly long-running show it's an interview show it's about 20 minute episodes and uh they get like celebrities so like act lots of different kinds of celebrities actors musicians and and, and authors and, and different people um and they come on the show and they and they're interviewed by this guy and and as they're interviewed, they eat progressively spicier hot wings. Oh, um, it's actually a pretty brilliant show, uh, and to the point where you know at the end they're like they're like barely able to function. And so like the sort of premise is it's kind of this funny uh, and and interesting way to interview where like like you get re- these really candid moments with with them, you know, and. Uh, they interviewed uh, Gordon Ramsay hmm. and uh, he said that, uh, you know, he's talking about why he's so critical and, and, you know, I'm critical as I want people to be their best, you know, I'm pushing the best. I want them to have the best and they to be the best. And I saw myself in, a, in, in this weird moment in Gordon Ramsay <laughs> where Gordon Ramsay, cause I don't want to be like Gordon Ramsay. You know, I, that's, I don't want to, I don't want that, you know? And, and I also don't understand what the best is, right? Like, like, what does that mean? You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, but he said, uh, you know what my, one of my culinary teachers once said to me, and, 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 and he said this to the interviewer on Hot Ones, uh, as if this was like, this really, ins- this important thing that like, helped make him into the man he is. And, and he was like, he was like, my one culinary professor once said to me, that the best moment of my life was uh, was the 
the shit that rolled down my mother's leg after she gave birth to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he said that to the interviewer, and the interviewer is, is like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, holy shit. But, like, he said that as if, like, and from that moment, I knew that I had to work to be the best. Like, like I'm, I'm like, that's that's an awful thing to say to a human being. Like, yeah. And so I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that uh, that critical, particularly when people are, are really trying to do good work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's this is something that somebody said on Twitter I think, uh, like after after the inaugur after the election after the inauguration after like Biden is firmly in office. Oh, I was listening to my favorite murder. This was Karen on my favorite murder. I was talking about Twitter and how like ever like it feels like all the liberals are now turning on each other because we like have sure. lost that the like we can no longer be critical of Donald Trump and so now we're just like yelling at each other for not being liberal enough. Um, mm -hmm. And and that makes Twitter a miserable place to be. Uh, and I was like, welcome to liberal Christian Twitter all of the time. Exactly. <laughs> it's just not great. Um, but like, that's because they're, we, we are really easily distracted and we, we find things to be critical of and then just like hammer away at it. But sometimes we are just hammering away at each other and that, that doesn't help anyone. Nope. Um, and I would really love to get out of, of the circle of, um, having to be the most politically correct person in, yeah. in the room. It's like seminary all over again. Um, yeah, I, uh, and, and, and like criticizing LMX wasn't trying to be the most politically correct person in the room, but like political, like try, trying to, I don't want to say this, trying to like hone your language to um, meet all of the, the liberal standards of the day uh, is like, fine, be like words matter, be aware of your language, but you also need to have that, that baseline that yeah. like that foundation of like goodness and care and, and willingness to work with one another. Mm. Um, and that's like, like, that's what I feel like we miss with Gordon Ramsay, right? Is he's like, well, I'm just trying to make people the best version of themselves that they can be. Uh, and like, I think he probably honestly thinks that. And, yeah, and you can be critical of someone as long as they know that like, you still love them, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Or you still care about them or you still like, are, their well-being is still important to you. Because if you're critical of someone and you don't really care about them, then you're just being a dick, right? So mm -hmm. that like, that's the important thing. It's like at the, at the baseline, you have to know um, that there's still like love for one another there. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, so, so this is something that I continue to wonder about. Um, I, like, as I, as I talk about my churches and as I talk about my experience as a pastor and like, because, because people keep on asking, right? Like people keep on um, being like, well, are you going to, are you going to go back to being a pastor? Are you going to, are you going to get a new church? Are you like, where are you at in the ordination process? Like people are just, I think like part of me is really cynical and it's like, oh, everybody just wants a scandal. But I think that people just want to like see where their career path is going as well, you know? Yeah. Um, 
but but I find it really hard to talk about um why I left and like what I'm doing next without being really bitter and really angry and like being hypercritical of the situation because I think I mean I think that this was not the the best placement for me I think the pandemic made it so that it wasn't really a sustainable place for me to be um and I think that I made a, a choice that others might not have made that I might not have made if one or two variables were different um to leave in the middle of the year um and like, I, I don't know, I left the church wanting to like jump into um, a career where like I could like, like activism or like something that would yeah. make a big difference. Um, but then also like, I don't have an in <laughs> in any yeah. field like that, you know, like I'm just, and, and I don't even know that that's really where my skills are could be best used I just was so fed up of of not being able to not being able to be myself which is a person who cares deeply about things and wants the world to be um to be better than what it is because I don't think the world is a great place right now um but like that doesn't that didn't seem acceptable as a pastor right like it did not seem that it did not seem that I could be critical of the world around me as a pastor or critical of my people um because I don't think that they understood that I love them and care for them (laughs) like I just I don't know I I think that there's a there there's a lot of um I don't not communicated expectations in pastor and congregation relationships and if like your people don't know that you love them and care for them and want them to be well then they are really willing to turn on you um or if they themselves i i don't know i'm also thinking about uh, kate who was on a couple episodes ago whose church has just gotten um that has not been particularly kind to her as they've continued to negotiate what comes next um yeah but like, like that church is, uh, does not really value Kate's ministry with them. And mm-hmm. so no matter how much love Kate wants to express toward them, like they're never, that's just never going to really scratch the surface with them. Um, and uh, I don't know. I like, I really, I long to see a congregation where <laughs> the pastoral relationship to the congregation is not antagonistic. Like, cause I feel like basically everybody right now is at odds with their congregations. Like very few people, very few pastors that I've talked to right now are like on the same page as them and willing to work through this together. <laughs> There's just a lot of like, I don't understand why we're not meeting in person. And um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so many things, Joe, like, like that's a lot of course. And I, and I, uh, understand, you know, that the tension of your position, right? Like this would be driving me nuts if, if suddenly I had no, nothing to to do, you know, if I had been spending my whole life doing and doing and doing right. Right. And then suddenly like, okay, well I left this job. Oh, you know, like, like I, so I feel you and I feel for you. Um, and I also feel for you on the, you know, really wanting to align 
let me maybe I'll try it another way. What I hear you saying, and tell me if I'm I'm wrong in, in hearing this. What I hear you saying is is there there's a part of you that really wants your um, really wants what you do for a living to and to align up with um, you know your vocation, right? Your your mm-hmm. vision for um, the good life and and working for justice to, to be an activist right i get that i i really get that um but i i want to you know i just want you to remind you that for the majority of the world's activists that's just not how it works what do you mean well like for the majority of of the the people who do on the ground work every day they make their living elsewhere. Hmm. You know, like like the world, the 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 on the ground important work of things like policy change, community building, communal outreach, like like working for justice, all of that stuff is done on the backs of people who raise kids, work a nine to five work third shift somewhere like are are people who just who do jobs in order to feed themselves and the people who are dependent on them and also are activists you know or no no i'm not there is no or right like like that is i think i think that is true i think that is true um if you know so somebody like I know I'm. Th- this is kind of not exactly the same, but but I think the principle is the same. Somebody like Dorothy Day mm-hmm. did not get paid to do her activism work, but which we all know. But but Dorothy Day spends her entire life being a her entire life, her entire time as an as a as a Catholic social you know activist and agent and Christian. Um, is also doing labor, you know, is, is, is doing work in order to keep her and her daughter and her and the communities that she's a part of going. You know, she her, her job wasn't to protest, you know what I mean? Or her job right. wasn't to do these things. And and like, I'm not saying that's what you want. I'm not saying that, but, you know, the, the vision is I, I get a job doing, you know, working in an organization that does direct social action. That would, that would be awesome. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't go for that if that's what you want. But like even that, even that organization relies on dozens of women and men and everyone in between who work two jobs, three jobs, one job with families also doing the hard on the ground activist work yeah and so like you know i i that's that's what i think yeah that makes sense that makes sense and like i'm looking for plenty of different jobs and i know that Mm. like you just got to make the money it's but i for a lifetime that was really spent kind of having a clear plan of like what's next i I'm, i'm really floundering not having a what's next um but something will show up. I will continue to look for things as the thing will show up and we'll see what happens. Yeah.
hey, did you know that the University of Virginia has like <laughs> the majority of the primary sources for uh, the Salem witch trials? No, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, y'all house them in the in the documentary archive and transcription project for the Salem witch trials, uh, really? which is is weird to me. It's at UVA and not somewhere in Massachusetts. But uh, that you know what you learn something new every day at, here here at Jefferson's Great College, <laughs> um, the the wonderful University of Virginia. No, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be, I'm not, I guess I'm not really surprised by it. We're, we're, we've got that piece of the Berlin wall in a display case and we're all, we got all kinds of weird stuff, but I can, I can buy that. I can believe that. One time I went into the rare book room at Wesley and I found all the stuff that we have there. And, and it strikes me as strange that it's just sort of there. And, and they like, they hand, you know, in just a display case. And they're like, here, here's a key in case you ever need to go in, but you won't. Don't touch the books. And I'm like, yes, sir. Right. Because <laughs> they would crumble. Yeah. I would never touch these books. You mean these very <laughs> rare books? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, like, stuff's got to get housed somewhere, right? When I was at Edinburgh, I mean, they have a bunch of different collections that are of, like, historical materials. But that's because they're a university that, like, has people who research these things and so it makes sense for them to like invest in housing this kind of archival stuff um and i guess like for many of the books at wesley there's a there was a thought behind them being at wesley but mm. like what happens when wesley inevitably closes you know where do these books go Ooh, who was going to take them it's getting dark it's getting dark Sorry. i mean like all schools will inevitably close i guess <laughs> well eventually the heat death of the universe will for some schools to close. <laughs> but I mean, like, when the academic bubble bursts and things like seminaries are going to be, like, one of the first to go, you know? Yeah, yeah. I try to think about that because it's like, you know, I'm hoping to, to find some work somewhere. <laughs> That's what I was about to say, too. <laughs> when but I understand. When a couple episodes ago was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a 50-year teaching career. I'm like, are, are you? Uh, is that what's yeah, going to When Tom said that, I got so nervous for him. I was like, oh, Tom, have you talked to people about stuff? <laughs> right. right. I'm sure he has. Tom, I, I give you a hard time. Like, I know you <laughs> have. But but like, <laughs> he said that. I was like, he's going to have. Wow. OK. I mean, don't get me wrong. That he secured a job like this, this quickly before he even finished his dissertation. Yeah. I was floored. I mean, the dude's great. Like. I shouldn't be floored because he's very, very smart and very, very qualified. So, but like is... nobody gets that. Yeah, like that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, you know, and not not like a visiting professorship, not like a postdoc. You know, and, uh, nothing like scoring an adjunct, like nothing like that. Full time teaching gig in his field at the Pacific School of Religion. I'm like, hey, <laughs> make it happen, man. Yeah, hang on to that job but yeah. uh, good for him yeah see and that's that's something that I think too is that like I would love to go back and get my PhD and like that and I don't know whether I'm like you know maybe this this is a sign from the universe and the deity that created it if that deity exists that like I should <laughs> go go to school again and get my PhD and go do academia or if like 
I'm just floundering right now, you know? Like, I just, I, I don't know. Because, like, I was thinking about this today as I was journaling. Like, it, the the foundation, like, the foundational understanding that I have of the world is that, like, God has a plan laid out for my life and that mm. I need to follow that plan and that I need to follow God's rules for that plan. And if I break God's rules, then I'm a worthless sack of shit. And mm. I have to repent of all the rule breaking that I've ever done so that I can get back in line with God's plan for my life. Otherwise, I'm just going to be miserable. And like, I know that's wrong. That's just like mm. the Puritan ancestors who somehow passed their theology down through my genes. Right. And like, I like, I know that's incorrect, but like, that's what part of what tears me up so much about this is that like, very clearly in my brain, my brain is like, that was, you were a pastor. That was your job. That's what you were supposed to do. And you were so distracted with all of these other things that you made the job, the one job you're supposed to do impossible. Therefore you are a worthless, terrible person because you could not do this one thing. Uh, this one thing being staying in the churches you were serving. And like, I know that's not right, but that's what, like, that's the narrative that my entire life has been built around because that was what was given to me um, in, like, in education in general, but like, especially in education in the church. Um, because education in general, like I was in the gifted kid class. And so like, the idea is that you just, you will go through school and you will do great in school all the way until there is no more school and then there will be a good job for you and you will have a good career and you will excel at things because that's what you have to do. Um, it's, just a, it's a really potent toxic combination of terrible mm. things that, uh, that was foisted upon our generation <laughs> in terms of expectations. Um, and, and so it's hard to like pick something that's supposed to happen next because everything feels so weighty. Like, it just feels like I have to pick the right thing and I can't make another mistake because I've already made one and two is not an option. Uh, oh, it's just, sorry. Sorry to bring it back to that. No, no, th this is important. These, this is good stuff to talk about. Like, so first of all, you can make however many mistakes you want because these are ultimately not really mistakes. Like, right. you, you're trying things and if things don't work out, that's not a mistake. <laughs> That's just something has worked out, you know, just didn't work out. Like a mistake would be, I, I, I attempted, I, a mistake would be, I know how to fix the car, but I fucked up while I was fixing right. the car. That's a mistake, you know, like, like that, that's fine. You attempting something and not working, not a mistake. Um, I, I think that, I think you would kill a PhD program. I've been saying that for a while and not just because right. I want, you know, all my friends to, to be in school, but like, I think you would kill a PhD program. I think that, I think that folks who are going into PhD programs should do it because I think that PhDs um, uh, provide people an opportunity to really do some really fascinating and good things. Um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? They make great, uh, it's not investment. I don't know why I can't think of the word contributions bam i get it they make great contributions to their their lives and their families and their communities and there's just not a lot of money in it right um and so like i'm really prepared to you know apply if i see a full-time position that would work for us but i'm really prepared to teach 
uh, a summer course in public theology at Wesley Theological Seminary so that Rick Elgendi can take the summer off. Right. You know, and then and and do that over the summer. And then my other job could be something, you know, like like something. I don't know. Maybe I'll see if uh, if a nonprofit is, is, is around and needs somebody to help with an outreach event or, or I'll, I'll uh, get a job doing something. I don't know what that will be, but like, I, I always want to do, you know, some kind of teaching. I think that'd be great. And I think that has to be currently with the market, that has to be like the mentality because, you know, I, I just think that has to be it. But like, I don't think that people, I, I think like the weird like Twitter discourse about this, <laughs> that's always the Twitter discourse, is don't get a PhD because they ruin your life and there's nothing to show for it. And, and the people who say that are usually bitter ass people who, you know, who, who had rough goes of it. And I understand that. I do. I get that. But like that, but, but getting money is not the reason people get PhDs. We know that. We already know that. People get PhDs, you know, because they're passionate about the subject material and want to study it in depth and write about it and, and talk to other people about it. There was a time when there were there was a system set up that, a, you know, a university and college system set up that allowed for, for people to be supported while they did that. And that's not there anymore. And so I, but I can't think of somebody, I can't think of a conversation with somebody that, that went like this. I'm thinking about getting my PhD in religion. Why? Job security. Like, like right. I, I can't, what the hell are you talking about? Like, or I'm thinking about getting my PhD in chemistry. Why? Job security. No, <laughs> that's not why, that's not why people give up six years of their lives and write a 300 page thing. Right. Um, I don't mean to little to have my little mini rant on it. I just constantly have to explain myself to Twitter people, and I don't know why. But <laughs> <laughs> well, why are you doing this? And, and I'm I'm like, I don't know because they paid, you know, because I got a free ride, you know, uh, just like anybody else who get who gets into a reputable PhD program, you know, and and my family could do it, and so we did it. And I love yeah. the material. That's why. That's why we did it. Man, you're just wasting your time. Yeah, I'm really sorry that I'm not gaining equity somewhere, you know, <laughs> like or, or or working my way up the corporate ladder at such and such place. But I don't think I'm wasting my time. Sorry, I made that about me when I started out to be about you. I apologize. Yeah. Um, but my point is, I think that I think that if you wanted to do it, you should do it. And if you come up with a thing to do with it, I think you should do it. I also think, and I stand by this for me too. If I ever like really can do it, I would totally be a librarian. That's without, without any hesitation, I would be a librarian. Ethan, we need, we need you to be a librarian. I'm like, great. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. I'll take one for the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I think I think what I'm probably struggling with, I think I think what would help me the most in like in this time of figuring out what to do next is being able to like uh, 
be okay with my choices um, because they like are in line with my like core values as a person. Um, Like not, not everything in life needs to be uh, in pursuit of like the benefit of all mankind. Like no, no human is able to do that with every single action that they do. Um, And, and like, I don't know, everybody uses resources in the world. Like everybody is just like, there's no ethical conception or capitalism. Like there's no way to lead a perfectly moral life. Sure. But like, if every, if, if I, if I could just know that like in the things that I'm doing, I am in general helping other people, making the world a better place, like writing wrongs in general, in some way, instead of just feeling like all I am going to do in my time on this earth is consume resources and then die. You know, like I, I just need something that like, like squares that circle. I need, I need something that like makes everything seem acceptable because right now I like, I just feel useless. Um, and, and and like whatever I do next, I don't want it to feel useless. And so that's that's kind of what I need is I need like a moral center to make all this make sense. And one would think that my my faith and my religious beliefs would be doing that for me. But like because the church has been so awful to me <laughs> recently, I like I just don't have it. Right. Like I just feel like. Christianity is morally corrupt and I can't handle it anymore. And so that like, that's, that's where I'm kind of caught at is I feel like I'm having to justify everything I'm doing, but I also feel like there's no justification for existence. And that is why I'm caught in this existential rut. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. I have no way to get you out of it. And I, and I'm honestly not trying because I would fail. Um, but you know, I love you, and I think that uh, you can be in a rut for as long as you need to be, and it's not like I'm gonna abandon you in the rut. Aww. you know, I'll just hang around, I'll be like, You want to come out yet? and you'll be like, No, I'll be like, Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll hang out over here. Well, um, thanks, I understand. One thing that gets me out of a rut is to watch YouTube videos of news anchor bloopers. Funny, 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 funny. That's where you get a. Uh, have I shown you the the DD Mega Doo Doo blooper? <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's that's still that's just a, that like that's nineteen seconds of brilliance. You know, like like you could not write that moment into reality. It was perfect, and the officer's name DD, and then like and then. You watch like the, the news anchor lady's eyes just go, there's no way I'm going to get this right. <laughs> Mega doo-doo. And then she said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. DD Mega doo-doo. <laughs> that's pretty good. Oh, uh, brother. That's good. Nothing. Um, so... Do you how do how do we want to close out? Do we want to continue? What do we want to do next in this episode? Because it has not been. It's been maybe forty five minutes. Well, I mean, like I'm okay with with making this a kind of guys. We don't know what we're doing, right? Like we're all confused. Life is life is tough. 
I, I assume when is when is the third season beginning, Joe? Are we approaching the second year of doing this? I so we started in August of okay. my first year of being a pastor. So the third the third season will start in August, which is a long way away. <laughs> it is a long way away, isn't it? Um, and so because I, I was listening to our to our theme song while I was listening to this past week's this week's podcast. And I was like, I wonder what the the opening theme is going to be like, you know, like like uh, join us, you know, be sit here with us as we listen to what goes on in PhD world, and you know, none of us are pastors anymore, so whatever, whatever comes <laughs> to our minds, <laughs> as we as we occasionally actively try to figure out what it is that pastors do. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm still really fascinated by the question of like. Me too how we think about pastors and and who pastors are um and we still have plenty of friends who are pastors and there are still plenty of people for out now. there who it's <laughs> true for right now for now that's the thing like we got to justify it every season <laughs> we're in season yeah. four all right so we don't know anybody who's a pastor anyway <laughs> no, we are now just stopping random pastors on the street to tell us about their life. <laughs> But I think it's like, it's that bigger existential question of like, what, what are clergy for, you know, yeah. which I think that anytime that we are uh, involved in organized religion, we're going to have a question about, about the clergy class and, mm -hmm. uh, and they're, what they're used for. So like, it'll continue to be a part of what we're doing. I think I, there's no reason to change the name. It's a, we've already got the email. So I think we're just kind of stuck with it. That's okay. I like, oh, no, I don't want to change the name. That's not, that's not what I'm suggesting at all. I just, just makes me laugh. It is <laughs> kind of you absurd, know. but also who knows, like maybe we'll be pastors again one day. There's I wouldn't a, hate it. Yeah. I, you know, I think that if I was at a church, okay. One, I think that if I was in a place to trust people, <laughs> then that would oh, be sure. okay. And then two, if I was at a trust at a church where I could like basically trust a core group of people enough to like try to do something I could like, I could be happy with it. I think it could be fine. Yeah. Uh, just not yet. There's a pastor who's running for Madison Cawthorn seat, uh, in North Carolina's 11th congressional district in the house. Um, cool. And she's, she's a liberal pastor in Asheville, who's on the Asheville, I think, city commissioners, um, and maybe city council, I don't remember what the title is. And I like, I would love to have her on the podcast and just be like, so you're a pastor who's actively running to be a politician. How does that even work in your brain? Like, tell me, tell me all the things. So maybe we will just get more and more ambitious. When, when did you develop the brain damage? <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain that to me? <laughs> oh my god! Nobody must like you. So how do you, how do you deal with that? <laughs> do, you, do you have even one person who who thinks who, who like treats you as a pastor? That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Because it's just I keep threatening. I keep one of the. I'm sorry. Keep going. Go ahead. No, 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 you, my, go, you go. So it's silly. Uh, one of my friends from up where I served uh, is running for mayor of the town. What? So, so mm -hmm. the town next to the town I serve, but I spend uh, an equal amount of time in because they were right there. Uh, and he's running for mayor, and I kept and I keep threatening that I'm going to run against him, you know, from <laughs> here, from Charlottesville. Right. <laughs> and 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 he's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, we both know 
that it is a lawless area up there and that you are going to attempt to become mayor of a town of people who hate politicians. And so nobody will care who the mayor is. You know, I'll just do it. And, uh, and he's like, no, F you, you know, don't do that. And so I got on to a Zoom thing or, or a Facebook Live event he was doing, and I kept asking him questions. What is it in your United Methodist faith that drives you to be a, the mayor of, of X town? Yeah. Uh, can you explain which social principles in the book of discipline or really uh, get at your core principles as a politician? And he, and he was not interested. <laughs> he did not like it. He did not enjoy it. And I was like, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Strauss, I'll say his last name, Mr. Strauss, I once spent a drunken evening at your house after a particularly wild show at the theater. Uh, can you explain your um, behavior during that time? What what is it? Should we trust the, the future mayor uh, when we're not even sure what his relationship to alcohol is? Explain <laughs> that to me. <laughs> he did. He was not. He did not enjoy it. He did not have a good time with me. Yeah. He's probably going to win. Uh, but I told him I was like, if I still lived up there, I'd run against him. And I become and and right before I, right as I won, as I beat him, he's like, you wouldn't beat me. I'm like, I would absolutely destroy you. Like, don't you understand? <laughs> I would. I would absolutely ruin you as mayor of this town. I would, I would defeat you utterly. And then I would concede and give it to you. After I, after I have defeated you utterly, I'd be like, no, I give it to, I give it to. Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> uh, my. I'm sorry for that. No, I'm, I'm just hearing that I should never run for office because you would be obnoxious for everything. <laughs> every, every instant that I was campaigning. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, excuse me. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, have this man removed. Have him removed, please. <laughs> he cannot. He cannot have the microphone. He can ask no questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, but I think that also points to your question about the social principles, as as dickish as you were when you were asking it. Um, is is like that's part of my hangup. Is I feel like I need to have an answer for everything before I do anything. It's okay mm. to just kind of have a general idea and like some core convictions. And it, like, I don't know. I saw, um, I saw a tweet today about how like uh, politics is becoming more influenced by religion in the United States than maybe than it has been recently. I'm not really sure by what metric they were measuring this. Yeah, um, yeah. But just like as, as politics, as religion is becoming more important in politics, institutional religion is also, you know, in its steady decline in the United States. And like, what do we do with that tension where like the religious right is this force that we have to reckon with in politics at all times, the religious left is doing what it does, I guess. Uh, but like fewer people are really engaging in a faith community. They are more trying to, to have their faith to themselves. Um, that's not the way I want to say that. Like have, have a personal faith and personal convictions and like sort the stuff out for themselves on their own rather than being part of these faith communities that like historically our generation doesn't trust. Mm -hmm. And and then so then you have politicians who are running and saying like my faith is very important to me and like virtue signaling all of the the like American civil religion stuff that we have to kind of say um and, but it but it all like I feel like so much of that is just a game that they're playing and that I don't really know 100% what 
what core convictions from their faith is actually guiding this or that politician. And, and I find that like politicians on like the, the religious left are actively like they, they know they can point to, they can justify, like this is a part of who they are. They like, nobody wants to be part of their religious left uh, unless they actually believe that it's actually doing something and that more of the right. posturing is on the religious right. But yeah, no, um, well, I, I think I think the reason why that's I think you're exactly right. And I think the reason why that's true is because uh, 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 the left, you know, as in as far as it exists in this country, um, gains nothing by being religious. Right. You know, not really like like every, you still can't be an atheist. Right. Like like in this country that's enough to throw your career out politically at this point still, you know, it's, it, it's still worse to be a Muslim, but you might as well, you know, kiss it goodbye if you're an atheist. Right. Um, which is ridiculous because if Wesley were alive, he'd say that just about every politician he's ever met was a practical atheist, you know, it, it didn't, you know, in, in this country, although he was also a monarchist. And so Wesley was right about democracy folks. You just got to read it mob rule <laughs> anyway um but like but like i think that's what what you identify in the in the in the those left-wing public figures and politicians who are religious i think is is correct the reason why they can identify exactly how their faith or their religion impacts their um policy making and and, and their uh you know political beliefs is because it does you know, it, it, yeah. it's because it's not a front. Why would it be a front? You know, what, what, who, who exactly would buy it? You know, <laughs> like, like, what would be the point? Whereas somebody like, you know, uh, Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz, let's be real. We're just, that's <laughs> I was like, do I want to rag on Ted Cruz? Of course I do. I hate him. He's the worst human being on planet Earth. He, <laughs> the long drop into the lake of fire will be painful for Ted Cruz. You know, like, like, <laughs> Like Ted, whereas somebody like Ted Cruz, why why can't we see the connection? Because there is no connection. It, it's either Ted Cruz is a practicing evangelical Christian who fully believes that his Christian faith has nothing to do with politics, which is why he can believe that one day in the eschaton there will be no racism. But now we got to exploit the shit out of that racism, right? Because we're not in the eschaton, right? Or he's he's a he's a charlatan and a liar, and and he he is merely saying Christianese words in order to gain a base. Either both are equally bad, but like it's it's the same thing. There there is no connection. If you were to ask Ted Cruz, Ted, tell me how your policies uh, connect to the Sermon on the Mount, Ted would have no answer. At least none that that uh, not a coherent answer. He'd have a non-answer. He'd, he'd tell me, you know, that I was just trying to gotcha journalism him or, or bing, bang, boom, yada, yada, yada. There would be no concrete answer. Whereas if you talk to AOC, AOC can absolutely tell you how her policies do that. Why? Because she knows what the Sermon on the Mount is. Right. <laughs> you know, but no, I think you're exactly right. I think you're right. Yeah. I, and, and so that's why I'm fascinated by, uh, um, I don't know, by the the convictions of people and, and what really guides people. But I think because 
I like, I am so convinced at this point that, that there are some politicians who are genuinely trying their best. I mean, there's no, there's no perfect politician, but there are people who are like genuinely trying to be public servants and genuinely trying to like care for their constituents and make the world a better place. And there are some people who are just manipulating the shit out of it. And I really want to be one of the people in life who like actually is in line with my core convictions and not just like manipulating people in order to like get ahead in life. And like, Mm. I don't, I would not even know how to manipulate people in order to get ahead in life. Like that's how kind of naive about everything I am. But I have this perpetual fear in the back of my head that like I'm a hypocrite and I'm just trying to like, I like, I don't, e- I don't even know what wrong thing I'm trying to do, but like that I'm just a faker and I'm just doing it wrong. And so I want to have like the work to back up to prove this critic in my head wrong that like mm-hmm. I actually am doing something out of like a, a real conviction and a conviction that's in line with like what I believe about like the goodness of the universe and how I can either be working for it or against it. So I should be working for it. Like I, I want there to be something that makes sense. And it's just not there. And so without this kind of like guiding principle, I'm just kind of lost. Um, And and that's frustrating. And and it's especially frustrating after having like so long, so many years of my life feeling like I was doing whatever the right thing was. And now um, I thought that I was doing the right thing and taking a placement in churches. And and now it feels like that was, um, that was a choice that I made that did not turn out the way we all thought it was going to. And so what, like, where do I go next after that? Um, yeah, it's just kind of hard. It's just kind of hard all the way around. What's a pastor when they're not a pastor confused. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a good question. That's, that's a profound question for, for a certain group of people. Pastors. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody else doesn't care. (laughs) What's a pastor when they're not a pastor? Don't pastors live in the church until it's time for service? I'll be like, boy, if only it was that easy. Yeah, if only we were gargoyles during the week. You may call me Goliath. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. No no love for the Gargoyles TV show? Oh, that's okay. What's your favorite episode of the Gargoyles TV show? It's on Disney Plus, video response. Um... I would honestly go watch like all of Gargoyles this week and then be able to be like, I think that they really got into their stride in season two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Video response. Uh, my, my final thing for this episode before we maybe are able to record a mini-sode quickly mm-hmm. about some different uh, book stuff. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, my final thing about this episode is I don't really like Winter Soldier and Falcon. Aww. I don't hate it. I like Sebastian Stan a ton. Yeah. Um, and and Winter Soldier is is at this point in my Marvel relationship, which is often very strained and uh, to be to be very honest, polyamorous. Um, <laughs> you know, I have no. Uh, but Marvel doesn't know that I'm polyamorous, so sure. I'm actually just a cheater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, I have no loyalty. I'm, I'm like, I'm like the, I'm like Hosea. Um, anyway, uh, at this point in my relationship with Marvel, it is the character of the Winter Soldier that has grown on me the most. 
Mm. Um, for a, for a while, Captain America: Winter Soldier was one of my least Marvel movie favorite Marvel movies, and and having rewatched it maybe once or twice, uh, it's it's easily one of my favorites now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I actually think the pacing is really good, and I think that. Uh, I've come to think the pacing is really good. And I've also come to really like the kind of spy thriller element to it. Yeah. Um, uh, And then because of that, the character of Bucky Barnes has become a lot more interesting to me. Um, I still don't like Civil War. I think Civil War is a bad movie, but I'm glad he was in it. You know, I'm glad I'm glad it's about the Winter Soldier. Sure. You know. But, uh, but like, no, the TV show, uh, it's not even that I'm comparing it to WandaVision. You know, I ended up sort of being really disappointed with WandaVision. Um, I, I just, I think it has too many tones, you know, like mm. on one hand, it's this buddy cop movie or buddy cop show, which is cool. And then on the other hand, it's a spy thriller but those are two very different tones and and it leaves me with just sort of a ton of questions that i don't think i'm supposed to be asking because it's not really a mystery hmm. you know at least this this is me this is my my encounter with it um and and you know as as per usual disney always pretends to be topical without ever being topical you know right and I, and I don't like that. Like, like, hey, if we're going to do racism, let's just do it. Let's let's tackle the issue. Let's like really, really ask the question about, uh, um, you know, police brutality and violence. And, and let's really make Isaiah more important. You know, let's not yeah. let, let's not make it a side thing. And by the way, if Falcon is not if, if Falcon is going to be that offended by it, which he should be, then we shouldn't jump right back into buddy cop thing. You know, like like those are mm. those are sort of the tonal things that confuse me. Or like Zemo, we got to go find Zemo. Why? Wasn't that the guy who tried to kill himself at, at the end of Civil War? But then uh, Chadwick, may he rest in peace, stopped him. But now he's just like he's gotten over that. He's he's you know does the spy shit. Like like it's just it it totally it bothers me. I love that Sebastian Stan is getting himself pumped and ready to play Luke Skywalker because he's starting to really look like it. Because <laughs> you know that's who's playing the new Luke Skywalker. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, Sebastian Stan, yeah. Like in real life, like he's he's taken on the role of Luke Skywalker in all of the Disney Plus stuff. Oh, wow. And, and so that's why his hair is cut that way and that's why he's thinning out. That's why they're, they're, they're not having him huh. bulk up. Okay, okay. Well, that's good like, to know. When you think about it, you can see it, can't you? Like yeah. I saw it, like like when they announced, it, I was like, "Yeah, that's a that's a good pick," you know. Yeah. Like he looks just like him. So, those are yeah. my that's my final thought about Falcon and Winter Soldier. I you know I think that's I think those are all fair thoughts. Um, yeah, I think that I I would I would I I want to see the whole series before I kind of before I. Give up on some of the plot lines that are here. I, I, I do. I, I think. I think part of the problem is that these are two side characters that are are kind of 
that are, are not really well defined and they're all defined. They're both defined in relation to Captain America. Um, mm. And in a show that's about how, like, how do we understand ourselves without Captain America um, and having two characters who depend on Captain America to define themselves. Like I, I need one. I, I need to know which one of them is going to be the new Captain America. <laughs> like I need to know, I, I need to know how it's going to end so that I can know whether to be upset or not about it. But since I can't do that, I'm just waiting to see how the story kind of unfolds. Right, right. It, well, you know, it's funny about that is uh, when when a- an U.S. agent came out, came on, and they introduced him. And it's it's the son of Kurt Russell, which which on its own means wow. that he should be he should be shunned from all cinema and television because Kurt Russell is just one small step, tiny tiny step above Matthew Broderick in worst actors on planet Earth. Um, okay. And so it's true. It's science, actually. I don't oh, know God. if you took that class when you were at Edinburgh, but I. Did. <laughs> um, scientifically proven two worst actors in planet earth are matthew broderick matthew broderick and kurt russell anyway um (laughs) uh speaking of that is is a u.s agent i connected at all to guardians of the galaxy 2 because that would be amazing you know kurt because kurt russell played uh ego in guardians of the galaxy 2 so it'd just be an interesting connection Anyway, when they introduced U.S. Agent, I, that made me really uncomfortable. So I, I, and that's the point, right? Like, like the point is, is that that this is supposed to make us uncomfortable. It's supposed to anger us in a lot of ways, which is it's funny. Which is something I like about the show. I like that it doesn't. I like that it's okay with angering us. I also like that that um, uh, uh, Bucky and Sam are kind of stupid. They I, are I don't. A little bit. Yeah. I, I like that though. I don't hate that. I that that's that's not a bad thing at all, um, as far as I'm concerned. Because there are there are people who are smarter than them, you know, like uh, like um, uh, Peggy Carter's uh, uh, great niece. Yeah, is she Sharon Carter? Sharon, Sharon Carter. Yeah. That's right. Like Sharon's Sharon's a great character. She's very very smart, and so she's not. She she doesn't play into that. You know, I watched Agent Carter with Beth on on Disney Plus, and that was a great show. I'm sorry they mm-hmm. canceled that. Peggy Carter is a great character, but like, like I'm okay with Bucky and Sam being dumb. I really am. Um, uh, because you know, I'm it's it's funny to me that Sam is like, I don't want the shield here, U.S. government. Right, that he was just like that, that naive like, about like, it. Yeah. Why would you do that? Like, and Don Cheadle at the, at the first episode just kind of blinks. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what are you? What are you doing? Why? Why? Why are you doing this? You know, like, it doesn't make any sense." Um, I like that. You know, so those are things that I that I like about it. I like that uh, the thing that I that is not that I like about the show that is I'm not supposed to like about the show is uh, I'm waiting for the time when U.S. agent just gets eviscerated by super soldiers. Like, how come nobody has said anything like like in that fight scene on the train? I'm like, oh, is this the part where U.S. agent gets his arms ripped off? You know, <laughs> like, what is don't worry, guys. I got it. You're just a regular person. <laughs> he is just a regular person. 
do it. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Bucky Barnes. Bucky Barnes is having trouble with two of them. Like you are going to get your arms ripped out of their sockets and then they're going to beat you to death with your own arms. You know, don't do it. Uh, do it. And it didn't happen. It made me sad. <laughs> well, no. one day. We'll just, we'll just have day. to see what happens next. All right. We got to get off this. Or, yeah. Or I'll, or I'll babble about it forever. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of What the Hell is a Pastor. We are Ethan and Joe, and we will see you next time. Bye.